everybody. Thank you for coming. Oh um, my gosh. Look at this space. We are contemporary artists now. <laughs> and so we're going to have a show about that. Here's a clicker. Oh, thank you. So this is The Scientist. For anyone who hasn't been here before, this is a comedy show about science. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm Blythe Robertson. I'm Madeline Freed. And uh, yeah, this month's show is about romantic compatibility and how you meet hot people to kiss. Uh, <laughs> Blythe, do you want to say what your qualifications are that you can talk at length about a science topic? Um, I have no qualifications. Madeline, what are yours? Uh, I have a Bachelor's of Arts. <laughs> From a research university, and I also work in tech. I work in comedy. I Google celebrities all day, so once again, I have no qualifications. Yeah, so we are going to explain to you uh, that very first moment that you uh, meet somebody and feel you want to date them and kiss them. And we're going to give you some advice uh, based on science, and it's going to be a good time. All right, so can we get the PowerPoint up? Do I click it? Yeah. <gasps> <laughs> All right, so the science of meeting hot people you want to kiss. or Moneyballing your love life. <laughs> All right, so for this show, we're kind of something different every show. We did a show on artificial intelligence, so we were like that kind of scientist. We did garbage. So now this time we're biological anthropologists and also data nerds. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit about algorithms. Yeah. Um, but while you're watching us talk about all this, keep in the back of your mind, like, should you be using this info? I think maybe you shouldn't. And I think you should. I think you should. Yeah. So pay attention to me and not blind. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So first we're going to talk about kind of like how you met people in a world before OkCupid and Match.com, before like algorithms were a thing. Uh, and just as a little caveat, um, though the world is complica a complicated and exciting place, we are going to be focusing only on heterosexual <laughs> relationships, which is sort of a drag. But that's the data that yeah. OkCupid gave us, so blame them. Yeah, so just imagine, like close your eyes and imagine it applied to other types of relationships. But we're, ta we're talking gender binary real hard all night. <laughs> yeah. uh, so here are some examples of people dating before algorithms. <laughs> and Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. <laughs> Classic heterosexuals. All right, so first, uh, we want to cite our sources, and some of the stuff uh, that we're going to be talking about comes from Helen Fisher's book, and we're going to be talking to her at the end of the show. So, yeah. We're so lucky. We're so lucky. Uh, Dr. Fisher is the chief scientific advisor to Match.com, so she knows her shit. Woo. All right, so... First of all, okay, so we read her whole book. We were like screaming the whole time. <laughs> Everything was so interesting. Uh, one of the things that shocked me is she talks about how like humans start talking to one another at bars. And you always hear that like men make the first move, right? But as it turns out, like when scientists study how people start flirting, usually women are the ones who initiate it. A little touch, a little look. <laughs> yeah, T nor the woman touches first. And so 
in America, we consider men, like the cultural norm is that men begin first, but it's actually not even true in America. We just have that yeah. cultural understanding. But women are, are actually the initiators. Yeah, so like women will look at a guy for like two to three seconds, you know. Like I thought that was a move that I invented, but... <laughs> But apparently it's like in your DNA. And then like a woman will come over and like, you know, you'll get closer to touching, like you'll move your feet together. And then like the woman will usually be the one to like touch first. And the guys don't even know it's fucking happening. <laughs> but women do. If you ask them later, women are completely aware that like they were doing all these things. And the man just thinks that like the first move is like kissing the woman outside. Um, which is just <laughs> insane. Go for it. Yeah. And I truly feel that, like, women are forced to do all the labor that keeps our species alive because, like, <laughs> they're the ones, like, feeling everything out. Yeah. Have, you, have, have you ever worked with a 23-year-old man? <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know to bring chairs into the room so everyone can sit. Yeah. <laughs> I hate them. Um, yeah, so it's uh, fucking horrible. And uh, body language is really important. <laughs> and also, I just want to point out, this is a side note, Ursula is the heroine of Little Mermaid, and here's why. She has a cool witch aesthetic, you know, she's like looking hot, she's unapologetically fat, she's like totally cool with it, and she's trying to dethrone the white male king. Monarchy. Um, cool, so <laughs> point number one, women initiate flirting. It makes me furious when guys make me kiss them first because I'm like, I did literally everything else. Okay. Um, this is fascinating. So uh, in the last chapter of her book, Dr. Fisher talks about like how people date in the 21st century. And she talks about this concept that we'll talk to her about later, but it's called slow love, uh, where you think like, oh, all of us like young millennials are like, hooking up with one another all the time and we'll just like fuck anybody but actually it's kind of like you're testing people out and like really making sure you like someone before you like commit to them and like shack up with them and get married so which is a nice little twist you know a little modernity for you that's nice yeah you know you don't have to immediately like that's a that's a positive part of the future take some time <laughs> it certainly made me feel better about just like hooking up with random people because i was like i'm looking for a partner <laughs> um yeah whereas uh, i've never had sex once in my life <laughs> uh, i um yeah mom's in the audience <laughs> she knows so uh oh yeah and so uh dr fisher like through Match.com, does studies of people who aren't on Match.com, just like representative singles, and asks like, have you ever had a one night stand that you thought would lead to something more? And like 33% said yes, and 44% said that they thought maybe like a friends with benefits thing would turn into a long-term relationship. I really wish one day I could be a representative single. <laughs> um, oh, same movie. Also, I realized today that Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher were in the same movie, but like a different movie, Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached, and now they're married. And I wonder if they talk about that all the time. <laughs> oh, OK, 
great. And then this quote was really fascinating to me. So, okay, so you hook up with someone, you see if you like their personality, you see if you like the way that they bone, I guess, and continue to date them. But also there's something like chemical going on. When, so any stimulation of the genitals promotes a dopamine activity, which could make you fall in love. And when you orgasm, you like, uh, it creates vasopressin, which like is a attachment hormone. So I just thought this was great because it completely confirms my mom's saying, which is when the clit gets involved, the heart follows. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That's very good advice. Um, can I tell you something my dad told me before I left for college? Yes. He said, even nice boys have STDs. <laughs> and it's true. It's so true. Always wear a condom. Yeah. So this is like a way, so like hooking up is a way to make sure your person doesn't have STDs and they're not a jerk who's going to oppress you. And if they do have STDs, that's okay. No, We're all it's okay. It's really funny. It's totally fine. All right. So... <laughs> So, all right, so we forgot to mention, but this show has comedians, and we want to welcome up <laughs> our first comedian. Uh, she's so funny. She's a great character uh, comic. Um, you can see her at uh, It's a Guy Thing at Union Hall. Please give it up for Katherine Cohen. Give it up for Madeline and Blythe. Yes. Wow. Welcome to my home. <laughs> uh, I'm going to treat everyone to some character comedy tonight. <laughs> um, so I will be sort of transforming before your very eyes into different people. So please suspend your disbelief. Okay. Um, that, please keep that up the whole time. Okay. So um, when I turn back around, I, I will be transformed. Mm. So you can play that track. When I was a little girl gazing out my window looking at the world wishing time would just go on and on and on and take me to a new place where I'd sing a song and meet a fresh face. How do we find our calling? How do we know where we belong? If we harbor enough resentment in our teens, we can ride a catchy modern woman. Some people say the modern woman can't have it all. Some people say she can't be everything. I'm here to tell you 
Some people are wrong. The modern woman is strong like a lion. She's fierce like a tiger. She's gentle like a lamb, elegant like a swan. She must be an animal, steadfast, loyal, covered in hair. She should be tough outside, but soft inside like a baguette. The modern woman is a baguette. She's a piece of bread. I'm a piece of bread covered in Nutella. <laughs> Maybe. The modern woman's timeless, like a broken watch passed down from generation to generation. Is she an object? No. She's a valuable object. And she's helpful like reading glasses or a maid. Women should be maids. They should be in uniform at all times. They should be told what to wear. Tell us what to wear. We will listen. Women will listen. Nah. The modern woman's like a grand piano. You can lie on top of her and sing anytime you like. <coughs> She's quiet, like a scream underwater. She's drowning, but in a cool way, like the Nevermind baby. A woman is a baby having a baby. She's soft like jazz. She's hard like a big fat dick. She should have a dick like a man. She should be a man, a man with a good dick. Any questions? Drifting June. Drifting June is a highly interpersonal, unexpected web series. But it's more than a web series. Part concept album, part documentary film, Drifting June takes an unlikely group and pushes them towards the question, what happens when we stop, think, and finally ask the question? <laughs> That's where you come in. Pledge $1, get a shout out. Pledge $50, get a digital shout out. Pledge $100, get $50. No one said this would be easy, but no one said it would be hard either. And when no one says something, you can't hear it. Help us touch the lives of others so we can in return touch ourselves. We want to touch ourselves. Thank you. Oh, my. Oh my God, <laughs> oh golly Moses. I mean, y'all really, really make a girl from Texas feel welcome up here. Um, I am so excited to be here tonight. I mean, this space is gorgeous. I'm used to sort of doing, you know, dive bars, um, truck stops, um, <laughs> you know, uh, caves, anywhere I might run into my ex, you know. <laughs> okay, right. And so um, I just wanna thank y'all and I wanna, finish up with just a song about lost love, so, yeah. Oh, God, I mean, we've all been there, right? Um, lost love, um, that kind of thing. Here goes. Why didn't he call me back? What's this feeling in my gut? Why does love hurt so bad? Why do I always it on my butt. Why do I always choose wrong? Why is the first the debugger? Why do we even try? Why do I still have a zit on my butt? Is it on my butt? Is it on my butt? I'll always have at least one. Is it on my butt? 
Best friend, Catherine Cohen. Oh. Just such a freaking treat. Yeah, thank you for that, <laughs> Catherine Cohen. You know what we're going to talk about next is algorithms. Oh, wait, no, there's one more thing. Oh, so this oh. is maybe the best, uh, most interesting study about compatibility. Oh. Um, it's about shared taste. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Madeline, do you want to take it away? Okay, so um, I, uh, <laughs> I know about this. Um, study about shared taste. Uh, it being the best indicator of romantic compatibility. Um, if you share opinions with your partner about controversial movies. So instead of the demographic information you're usually asked for, instead you should have... Um, so the study that they did is you took a quiz about all these controversial movies and they found a high correlation um, between couples that identified themselves as happy. Happy couples had a high correlation of shared opinions on controversial movies. Uh, and just the idea being that there's a lot of content in those movies that uh, tend to... Um, tend to represent your actual personality, you know, what you find valuable, what you find funny. And then unhappy couples had an even worse correlation, a even less of a shared opinion than two random strangers on the street. Um, so this is very interesting. I've been telling uh, the people about this for years. This study was like maybe the reason that we decided to do romantic compatibility as a topic for a show. It in fact was, and we cannot find a shred <laughs> of evidence <Yeah>. that <laughs> this is the case. <laughs> so it is perhaps a fever dream of mine <laughs> that yeah. this ever happened. It's so you have any leads <laughs> on this, please let me know. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I have, I've fought for this opinion. Yeah. I've this was like the first thing Madeline told me about when we met. Yeah, yeah. I still believe it. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and do you want to do a quick quiz with me, see if we have good compatibility of based course. on this bullshit study? No, it's, it's <laughs> real. I'll do it, damn it. Uh, never seen it. Never seen it. <laughs> never seen it never seen it but my uh realtor really recommended it <laughs> never seen it oh i saw it and hated it oh no so i was so afraid well, everyone was laughing they were like ah, this is so ridiculous thought i was very afraid one time my dad walked into a room uh completely apropos of nothing, says, I haven't been scared since 1973, I think. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what he's talking about. And later I found out he was referring to The Exorcist. <laughs> uh, I don't like this movie. What? Ah! I 
do like this movie. In fact, it's my favorite movie. And when I had an OkCupid okay profile, I said, I cited this study and said, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> if you like Fargo, let me know. And people always told me if they like Fargo. And, I, and one guy said, I'll go watch it and see. And then he wrote me an essay on it, and I didn't respond. Yeah. And then he wrote me another essay about how much of I, I was a bitch I am. Of a bitch I am. Yeah. Which, honestly, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, now we're, okay. we're finally into algorithms. So, you know, you can meet people IRL, but who does that? It's so lame. We all meet each other on Hinge now. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk now about, like, dating in the age of algorithms. But first, what is an algorithm? What the heck is an algorithm? Can uh, I see a show of hands of people who are confident they know what an algorithm is? Oh, that's great. None of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, that was like a solid 30%, I'd say. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you what an algorithm is. Um, it's a set of instructions. <laughs> that's what everyone says to explain an algorithm. But uh, did you guys ever in... Um, uh, middle school or elementary school have to like tell someone else you had to write down a list of instruction of how to make a peanut butter sandwich and then they're like you're instruct and now my the whole peanut butter thing is on top of the bread and I don't <laughs> you know it didn't work and you had to be more specific or whatever you know what I'm talking about you were writing a bad algorithm <laughs> um, and so this is just like you're telling the computer what to do. And this is not the case of the AI, like artificial intelligence that we were talking the other about a couple months ago, where the robot takeover happens at the end of it. This is just like <laughs> the su simplest, dumbest way to tell a computer what to do. Um, it is uh, how they generate the number uh, that OkCupid tells you you're matched with. Um, yeah, magical, mysterious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to know exactly, exactly, exactly how OkCupid does its its uh, matching number, it's here. Uh, I read it um, today. <laughs> uh, so what it does is <coughs> OkCupid is kind of telling you that its algorithm is somehow going to tell you compatibility with somebody. It even says like friend number, love number, enemy number. Um, so it tells you how enemy you're going to be <laughs> with somebody. Um, and they do that by, you answer, I, I'm certain many people in this audience have a familiar <laughs> with OkCupid, okay but if you don't, uh, you answer lots of questions. You answer what you believe, what you wish the other person will believe, and how important it is to you. And then the algorithm is just a ranking of how much to weight each of those questions, and then they put it into just like a really plain... Uh, they multiply them all together and come up with a number. So it, this algorithm thing, though it tells you, you know, it's going to be compatibility, it's literally just an answer to these questions. And necessarily wrong. Yeah. Because those questions are going to be, at their heart, you evaluating yourself. And sorry, you don't know anything about <laughs> yourself. I have to say, as a genius, <laughs> you guys are really dumb. Um, you're just, so you're getting content that's just self-evaluation, and you're getting what you consider to be important, which you also don't know. Yeah. So uh, you yeah. essentially just have these three numbers that pretty much mean nothing. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the important parts of this are you're answering a lot of questions. So OkCupid has a lot of data. And, uh, and they're putting it into an algorithm that maybe doesn't work. Also, I was on OkCupid twice, but only for the quiz. I wanted to see like how much more romantic I was than other people. Etc. Okay, so OkCupid has a blog, and I feel like some people it might be like semi-famous in the world of people who like like to know about data, because um, you know they've got all of this information about like how people answered all these questions, uh, stuff like you know, do you like the taste of beer and stuff like I don't know. Yeah, OkCupid was started by mathematicians. I right. think is common knowledge, but they have this blog where they you know, tell you stuff yeah. about yourself. And like, so they have this on their blog is like, uh, the good questions that like are interesting, like 300,000 people answered versus like, if you did a Gallup poll, it would be like 3,500. Um, and obviously they're not representative of like singles in America. You have to be a person who wants to be on OkCupid, but whatever. Uh, so, all right, so we just like went through their blog and like here are some interesting things that actually surprised us a little bit about how people interact on OkCupid. Um, so women make the first move. <laughs> this this photo is going to be relevant later. Uh, so like as we saw in with Dr. Fisher's studies about like how women usually are initiating this flirting, women uh, making the first move is actually advantageous on OkCupid, and that's because uh, everyone messages people who are hotter than them, which makes sense. Um, men are reaching out to women who are especially hotter than them, but. All women are hotter than all men, so that makes sense. True, 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 <laughs> true, true. Um, so, so if a woman does nothing, the only people that are going to be talking to her are like l less hot people. Um, and also, because women are constantly, you know, deluged by men who are like sending them very rude messages to start, or just even saying hi, what's up, uh, men are more likely to respond. So, if women send the first message they are going to be talking to more people and they're going to be talking to hotter people. And I put this up here because what a classic example of, you know, women are hotter than men. <laughs> so yeah, this is the, the tips and tricks. So if you're currently on OkCupid and you're a woman, please message. Also, if you want to game the algorithm and you've been on for a long time, close down your account, start a new account, and you will be... Uh, favored by Bumped the up. algorithm. Oh, uh, if you're not making the first move, you're settling. Okay, ugliness. Ugliness is the wrong way to say this, but... Um, so this is my favorite. This yeah. is Madeline's favorite. So, okay, uh, here's a crazy graph of like how attractive you're ranked versus how many messages you get. So obviously women who are like, they did this, they looked at women that were getting messages. Uh, so obviously if you're hotter, you're getting more messages or whatever. But as it turns out, the more men disagree about a woman's looks, the more messages she gets. So I just want to point something out. You can see it on the graph. Uh, like, let's, okay. <laughs> uh, so like right about here, everybody is like, you know, maybe a four out of five, but there's this huge variation on how much messages people get. And so what's the difference between that lady and that lady up top? And they dove into this and it turns out that even though they like they're mean, their average uh, attractiveness is the same, um, the way that people are rating them is very, very different. Yeah. So like a person on the bottom would be like a 
So we use just like women you might know, even though these are both women who are obviously incredibly hot. So Kristen Bell, maybe you think of as cute, right? So all the men are gonna be like, she's cute. But Megan Fox is like polarizing. She looks kind of weird, right? I mean, obviously she's the most beautiful person anyone's ever seen in their entire life. But like some men might be like, hell yeah. And some might be like, I don't know. So the the idea here is, and these are our, this is actually the OkCupid's example, but let's say it turns out that they have the same average. They're both rated as four out of five on the site, but it turns out that Kristen Bell, everybody thinks she's a four. Every single person who rates her thinks she's a four out of five. And with Megan Fox, most everybody thinks that she's a five, but a bunch of people think she's really, really ugly. But the mean comes out to four out of five anyway. Yeah. And so that's actually critically, critically important if you want to get messages. So people, like, obviously we can't, like, know why that is. But, like, one theory is that men think, like, oh, like, I've got a chance with her. Like, people might think she's ugly. And they're, and they're like, so if you're fat, post photos of you being fat. Because, like, men will feel like they have a better chance with you, I guess. Or, like, if you have tattoos, like, some men might not be into that. So the men who are will be more, like likely to message you. Yeah, I favor the theory <laughs> <laughs> that people are attracted to particular qualities and the people who have tattoos and piercings know, piercings know that intuitively. They like know that if they hide those things and then they show up and have tattoos and piercings, people are gonna be like, whatever men say, I don't know. And But they know that that's like, they should leave with that quality even though it's not considered a classically like attractive quality. So, um, but many other people do not understand that. They hide the things that make them unique and ugly, like the things that make them ugly. Yeah. So if you have a, a big nose, for example, <laughs> as I a do, big nose. I, uh, sure, fine. Um, <laughs> uh, or are overweight or, I don't know, are weird looking in some way or have a, have a strange interest, um, that those are all things that actually will help make your rating more divergent um, and actually get you more messages. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know if this applies IRL, but I've been leaning into looking like a truck driver and <laughs> it's not really worked, but maybe one day. All right, so the power of suggestion. Um, this was, so they're like, okay, okay, Cupid, they give you this match percentage, like people who have a higher match percentage talk more and are more likely to like exchange contact information. But is that just because we're telling them that they're a good match? So they did an experiment, uh, which maybe is moral, maybe is not. I don't know. Come to our show, The Ethicists. Um, and they told bad matches that they were good matches. And as it turned out, when they told people who were 30% matches that they were 90% matches, they actually did talk more. And they, be they behaved as if they were a good match. Um, and then they tried the other way. They're like, what if we told good matches they were bad matches? And the same thing happened. They were less likely to, like, talk. Um, but then they decided that, like, it's part of the equation, but not all of it. I don't know. This is kind of boring, because, like, obviously, you know, if someone's like, this guy's hot, you're going to be like, that guy's hot. And it, right, if your 12-year-old your friend, when you're also 12, is like, he likes you then you like him. Yeah, I fell in love with a guy once because he made me, a I was like, can you make me a list of movies to watch? And he made me a list that was 100 movies. So I was like, he's in love with me. So for a year, I was like, he's in love with me. I'm in love with him. And then later he was like, I just like movies. <laughs> it's often hard to tell. It's hard to tell. So on that note, 
Okay, oh, wait. yeah, so oh, yes. this is just a little bit of an aside from me, Madeline Freed, to OkCupid in general. Um, but it, it seems like OkCupid is pretty fine with experimenting on their users in order to make the experience of them better. And I met somebody who fa figured out a way to find rapists on OkCupid. Uh, he put his project up on GitHub. You can use his, you can use this, like you can install his Chrome plugin. Uh, that when you look at OkCupid, it also gives you an additional rating of how much of a rapist they are. Uh, the way that he does that is there's a sociological study that gave people a certain list of questions, and depending on how they answered those yes or no questions, you could if they uh, were, had a high likelihood of having committed a sexual assault or were okay with committing sexual assault. Um, and he, like all the questions on OkCupid are user generated. So he entered those in and had a, the whole mass of people take those and then showed you their answer or, or did his own algorithm to show you if uh, they qualified along that study. And you can do it yourself. Now, just FYI, if you have a contact at OkCupid, they maybe should pay attention to this. Who knows? Maybe data could be used for good, <laughs> the good of mankind. Yeah, instead of telling women like, oh, you're ugly, but that's a good thing. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So it seems like, the, you know, OkCupid got in trouble before for doing experiments on their own users. It seems like... They have an opportunity to use data for for our safety. Yeah. And bless. Bless up. Bless up. <laughs> uh, so while you noodle on that, uh, we want to bring up our next comedian. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're welcome. She's so funny. You. Oh, okay. Yeah. You've seen her about town. Uh, she's at UCB a lot. She has written for The Tonight Show. Please give it up for Alex Song. Hi. Thank you, guys. Hi, how's everybody doing? Uh, I love that the mic is already uh, freewheeling because usually I have to come stand next to this and it's always embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I feel very honored to be on this show. Um, both my parents are scientists. They have PhDs in physics and then the other one has a different science one. Um, <laughs> But I'm a comedian, uh, so uh, the closest I get to science normally is uh, I took the love languages quiz on the internet. Have you guys heard of that? Um, <laughs> a smattering of yeses. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, apparently, I don't know how scientific this is, but there are uh, five love languages, which are the ways that you give and receive love. Uh, it's not the same for everybody. So there's uh, words of affirmation, uh, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, which is like helping someone do like a chore or something. And uh, the last one is gifts. Um, so I took the quiz uh, and it told me my love language is when people tell me they don't love me anymore. Um, <laughs> And I said, are you sure? And the quiz said, you're trash. And I said, oh, I think I love you. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm a lesbian like the porn genre. Um, 
my favorite part of lesbian porn is when they go, oh my God, we shouldn't. <laughs> um, but they always do. Uh, I'm also Asian like the fetish. Um, but I'm not here to talk about that today. So for the purposes of this set, please imagine me as a white gay woman. Um, <laughs> I've been gay for a few years now. Uh, I first came out when I was 13 by uh, writing, I think I'm gay as my away message on AOL Instant Messenger. Um, not as my status, as my away message. So if you tried to message me for the 30 seconds in which it was up, you would have been pinged back with an auto response that said Alex is away and might be gay. Uh, and then I just didn't deal with it for a few years after that. Like it was the B story from a sitcom. Um, and then uh, I came out again when I was 16 uh, as bisexual because I was dating a girl at the time. But I, I didn't think my mom would understand the term, so I told her I was half gay. Um, you know, because of the language barrier and because she's Asian, so, you know, she loves fractions. Uh, sorry, I'm not allowed to say that. Uh, right now I'm a white woman. Um, Anyway, so she forgot about it after a while because I, uh, I moved to New York for college at 18 um, and I decided to reinvent myself as a straight person um, as you do when you move to New York City. Uh, <laughs> I was really good at it for a while, I think. Uh, I dated a bunch of guys. Uh, they're readily available. Um, and I, I felt like I was good at it because I didn't give a shit about them. Uh, because the, the love language thing works both ways. The fake love language I invented, when you tell someone you don't love them, uh, they love you more. Um, but after a couple years, I finally uh, was like, no, I'm not bisexual. I'm not definitely not straight. I'm, I'm just gay. Uh, and I slept with five guys at that point, and I was so excited because uh, I thought that would always be easy to remember. Like, for the rest of my life, I could be like, oh, it's five guys, like the restaurant. Um, and I messed that up. Even after I came out as a lesbian, I still, like, slept with a few guys after that. So I can't use five guys anymore. But I still love their burgers. Um, <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> okay, I'll work on a better button for that one. Um... Anyways, I, I feel like probably, in all honesty, I'm a little closer to bisexual than to uh, being full-on gay, whatever that means. Um, but lesbians just have way more of a community, you know? Like, they have uh, the L word, uh, whereas bisexuals just have don't trust the bisexual in apartment 23. Um, but they always do. Uh, do you guys want to play a game? It's very stupid. Uh, is that a good set up for it. Um, so I always think that the uh, only difference between me and a uh, straight woman is uh, I hate Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I, I, I usually gauge like how straight a room is by how upset people are when I say I hate Mark Ruffalo. Right now you guys are reading kind of queer. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so, I, I hate Mark Ruffalo, I, I don't understand his appeal, um, 
I think it might be tangentially related to the fact that he broke up the beautiful marriage of Julianne Moore and Annette Bening in a fictional movie. Because um, I, I don't know, I hear he's politically active and like a good person or whatever. But uh, on, on the other side of the spectrum, I, uh, so I would not fuck Mark Ruffalo, but I would fuck Nicholas Holt, who, um, if you don't know who that is, it's the little boy from About a Boy. Um, but he's grown up now, and he looks a little like a woman. Um, <laughs> so the game is uh, naming male celebrities, uh, could be actors, could be anyone, uh, a known person, uh, and uh, seeing if I would or would not fuck him. Uh, this game really only serves me, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, do we have any first uh, names? First, er, full names, but, you know, first guesses. Kurt Russell. Oh, he was the guy from the picture earlier? I don't know much about him. Um, yeah, to prove a point, sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Kevin Spacey, he's gay. Come on. That's like one of Hollywood's best kept secrets, right? Is he's probably gay. Um, I, Justin Bieber, hard yes, he's already a lesbian. Uh, I do feel like, uh, I feel like I could provide literature on how Kevin Spacey's probably gay, but anyways, it's not my job to out him. Uh, <laughs> anyone else? Hugh Laurie, sure, yeah, diagnose me, doctor. Uh, anyone else? Woody Harrelson. No, I'd want him to be like my dad. Daniel Radcliffe, sure, I don't know. Sure, he's five. He's he's small. I think it'd be manageable. <laughs> uh, someone said something over here. Michael Sarah is a person I hate so much. <laughs> I don't have a reason for it. I just I really don't like him. I'm sorry. Uh, he the plot of Scott Pilgrim or not the plot, but part of it was like he gave himself his own haircut, and I thought it looked like the worst thing ever. Oh, yay, thank you. Okay, great. Yeah, if anyone else wants to chime in with who they would or would not fuck, feel free. Someone said something over here. Oh, not anymore. Donald Glover, and I heard something here. I'll come back to it. Yes. Uh, did you say it? Okay, I don't mean to, if I, if someone else said it, to look directly at you. Um, what was it over here? Yes. I love Moonlight. <laughs> Over here. What do you No. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, wait. Yes. <laughs> um, and I would document it. <laughs> I would make it gay for him. I know I'm a woman, but I, fucking me, I, it would make him. F I would try to make him feel like he had a gay experience. Um, Hulk Hogan. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Rand Paul. All these politicians. Um. He's the libertarian. Yeah, any Republican, sure. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I would make them feel bad after. Um, last guesses. Make it a good one. The Rock, yes, Donald Trump. Okay, okay. Uh, I would peg Donald Trump. Uh, and here's here's my secret. I would definitely fuck Adam Driver. Uh, I think he looks a little like a dog. I don't know. Uh, I said I wouldn't do Asian jokes, but I thought I'd finish off with a couple if that's cool with you. So pretend I'm Asian again, uh, if you forgot somehow. Um, so uh, my favorite part about being Asian is I can never get married because throwing rice at me would be a hate crime. <laughs> Here are three impressions of different Asian people in the media. This first one is the Asian girl from Pitch Perfect. This next one, thank you. This next one is a bamboo stick. This last one is an Asian man waiting for the subway. Keep it going for Alex Song. <laughs> um, also, on the topic of Mark Ruffalo, he is a reformed 9-11 truther. <laughs> so, wait, what, he was a 9-11 truther and now he's not? Now he says maybe, maybe Bush didn't do 9-11. Wow. Still heterosexually interested in I, him. Yeah, All right, same. moving on. All right, so, okay, so, uh, okay, Cupid, other dating sites, have algorithms, right? So you can use them like a normal person, enter in your data, blah, 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 see who you match with, or you can hack the algorithm. So we're gonna tell you about a couple people who did that. Two weirdos. Two weirdos. All right, this dude is number one. He reverse engineered his profile to match with like women that he wanted to date. He's boring to me because he's a man, let's skip it. <laughs> Here's number two. Uh, this is Amy Webb. She has a, a pretty 
adorable TED talk, but she um, she was going on bad dates. She was 30. She felt pressure to have babies at 35, and so she was doing the math. So what she did was she uploaded her resume to OkCupid. <laughs> Wasn't getting a ton of action. <laughs> so what she did was she made a full list of 72 attributes that she found important in men and then rated them in a two-tiered system where <laughs> the tier one was highly rated and tier two was second rated. And she did uh, some regression testing on the, uh, the um, <laughs> OkCupid database. And then she would only go out with men who had a higher than 700 rating and she would only go... Right. She blah, 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 but blah, those blah. men didn't like her. She found the men she wanted, but then they were like not feeling her resume on her profile. So then <laughs> she figured out like what a man who she wanted to date would look like and she made 10 fake profiles for men she wanted to date and she found out what kind of women they matched with uh, which was like shorter profiles don't mention that you love the English patient because if people are like I hated that movie they might not match with you this all goes against Madeline's imagined thing <laughs> Direct, yeah, direct proof against my theory. So she, uh, so she made a profile based on this, and now she's married. And also, not only is she married, we love a marriage at the end of it, but not only is she married, she married the first person who messaged her after she did all of this thing. So <laughs> lessons learned. Yep. All you have to be is a data scientist, and you'll find <laughs> love. <laughs> um, yeah, so good for her. Great. All right. Uh, so, like, when you're using the apps, like, really what she taught us is that it's really just, like, a way, a good way to meet people. And Dr. Fisher talks about this a bit in her book. Oh, this is two people who are meeting with the intention of dating. <laughs> uh, so, so, right, because, like, the algorithm doesn't do a great job of matching you up. So, like, uh, but it still is a really good way to meet people, and that's how a lot of people are meeting people right now. But the trick is that, like, the only algorithm that really works, this is from Dr. Fisher's book, is the algorithm in your brain, right? So it's just, like, you got you to gotta meet new people because when you meet people organically like I do, you only meet boys who do comedy in Brooklyn, and they're all bad because they don't like themselves. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Yep. Uh... Is there another part of the slide? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, right. So what should we do with all this? Is this? Yeah. Yeah. What should we do with all this? Um, well, I think we should, we should think about it. Bring <laughs> up the next comedian. Yeah, I think so, too. Do you want to introduce him? Oh, this next person is seen around doing storytelling. She, uh, you hear her radio stories all over on The Moth, on This American Life, uh, and she is a darling genius. Welcome up, Elna Baker. Hello. So I wasn't going to start this way, but that just reminded me. Uh, so I was Mormon until I was 28, like a real practicing Mormon, which, you know, is for that. Uh, and I wrote a book about being Mormon. And uh, when your book comes out, you have all these, like, publicity interviews. So I was used to the standard questions. And then Time Out New York called me. And all the women's questions were like, so what are you looking for in a guy? Like, what's your favorite date night spot? And around the fourth or fifth question, I was like, I'm sorry, what does this have to do with my book? And she was like, oh, this is not about your book. Um, uh, this is for our fetish finders site. <laughs> Which, you know, Time Out has this fetish finders where, like, if, you know, it's like 
Uh, if you like bun heads, like women who do ballet, I guess, are called bun heads. And uh, they'll profile a bun head, and then at the end it's like, do you want to date this bun head? And then they have, like, an email address for the person. So I was like, wait, what fetish am I? And she's like, you're our virgin. Uh, we've been looking for a virgin in New York for years. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, 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 this is, like, the worst. I did not want to do it, but I couldn't back out. So you can Google, there's like a whole thing of me and fetish finders as the virgin. And at the end, it's like, do you want to date this virgin and an address for me? <laughs> so it came out. I was kind of mortified, but I, it, it, like, you know, whatever. But then after like a couple weeks, of course, like lonely one night, I was like, oh, because she was like, you're going to get thousands and thousands of emails. So one night I, uh, you know, was like, well, like how many thousands of men emailed me? <laughs> So I logged in, and in an entire month, I got 11 emails. <laughs> like, that's how many men want to date. That's like oh, 12 people have more have walked on the moon, guys. Uh, but then the first email, it was actually from a woman, uh, and her name was Nicole B. And the subject said, I date ya. And I clicked on it, and it was like, hey, it's your mom's friend, Nicole. I saw you in time out. Which uh, leads me into the story I was going to tell, which all this all happened around the same time. So I was a virgin uh, until I was old. Uh, and I, um, I was a virgin because I was Mormon. And uh, Mormons believe that sex before marriage is the second most serious sin next to murder. Like, <laughs> a terrible thing, right? Sex, like, pretty awesome <laughs> compared to murder, right? Uh, so I was raised to believe this, and they had to teach us this in, in church, but they couldn't use, like, actual words, like sexual words, so they used object lessons, uh, and my favorite sex object lesson, uh, we came into class, and the teacher had written chastity in giant letters, and then she walked in, and she was carrying a tray of uh, cookies, which she, like, slammed down on the table and was like, does anyone want a cookie? And they were all broken and sprinkled with dirt, and we were like... No. And then she nodded and she was like, that's right. Nobody wants a dirty, half-eaten cookie. <laughs> which is how I learned not to have sex. Um, which, to be fair, now that I'm not Mormon and drink, I'm like, late at night, those cookies. <laughs> I'd eat them. I'd eat them. <laughs> um, so uh, I was, uh, when I was 28, I was, that article came out, uh, I was in this place where I'd never actually had a real relationship because I was a Mormon and a virgin. But also, I also totally doubted if Mormonism was true uh, because, g spoiler alert, it's not. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> and I think deep down in my heart, I knew that. And, and yet I, I, d I couldn't accept, I couldn't believe myself. Um, and so I watched this documentary uh, called The Devil's Playground about Amish kids. Have you guys seen this? When Amish kids are 16, they get a rumspringa, which is a year break where they can try anything. And, like, you know, they all do meth. But I saw it and I was like, yes, I want to do that. So I decided at 28 I was going to take just one year and not be Mormon. And at the end of that year I could go back because I'd seen what was on the other side. And I could, you know, fairly gauge what was better. So I decided I would take this break. Um, 
And the first thing I did, I went to Starbucks. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I never had coffee. And uh, I, I got in line, and uh, it was my turn. And I, I had never really, I'd been into Starbucks, but I'd never looked really at the names of things. And all of a sudden, I was like so full of anxiety, because they're all in another language. <laughs> and I had no idea what to do. And the woman, uh, it was my turn, and I said, I'll have a Machado. And I only knew I got it wrong, because everyone around me, like, tensed up immediately. And the woman was like, do you mean a macchiato? And I was like, yes, a macchiato. And I swear, everyone looked at me like I was an alien in a human body. It was like, just here for the first day. Um, and then I, I copied what people put into their drink, and I put too much junk in it, and, and took a sip, and I was like, eh. And that was it. And then for six months, I did nothing. Uh, because I was too afraid. Because, turns out, you don't know you're brainwashed until you start breaking the rules. Uh, so I would go to a bar. I remember I ordered a drink, um, but I couldn't drink it. Because I it would like go through my head like, well, you know, alcohol is an addiction, and do you want to become an addict? And if you drink this, then you're going to like, like go on the streets, and then you're going to steal money from your family, and they're never going to talk to you again. And <laughs> like, is it worth it? And I, I wouldn't drink it. Uh, or like uh, porn. I was taught never to watch porn. And I remember I tried to watch a porn, but then I, in my mind, I was like, well, it changes the prefrontal cortex of your brain, and you lose empathy. And oh God, well, I like my empathy. And so I turned the porn off. <laughs> uh, and so that's how it went for six months. And uh, then one of my friends was like, uh, look, you, you know, you said you wanted to take this break. Um, I'm going to set you up on a date with this guy. Uh, he was Orthodox Jewish until he was 28, and he left. And, uh, you know, I told him about you, and he just wants to meet you, and, like, you guys can talk about this. So we got set up, and honestly, it was great. I hadn't met anyone my age who'd been through such, like, a parallel experience. So initially, we are just, like, admitting, like, why we liked our religions and why we stayed for so long. Uh, and then it got to the subject of this break, and I told him, like, I'm too afraid to do anything. And he was like, don't worry, that's totally normal, that's part of the process. Uh, it took me a year to try things. Uh, and he was like, well, what have you done? Have you tried drinking? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, have you tried drugs? And I was like, no. He was like, well, what about sex? Have you had sex? And I said, honestly, I have no idea what to do with the penis. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he was like, do you want me to show you? <laughs> Which, like, I like, it's like community service that he now has to do. Uh, and I was like, yes. And so we settled up and got in a cab and headed back to my apartment. And I'm not exaggerating. I, uh, at 28, I didn't really know what a penis looked like. Um, we would go to art museums when I was little, and my mom would train us not to look down. <laughs> Which, to be fair, art has gotten so much better. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so one time my friend, and I, I'm going to draw it for you, my friend was like, what do you think a penis looks like? And so this is what I thought a penis looked like. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, that's a penis. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, 
<laughs> we got back to my apartment and uh we like sat on the couch it was very clinical like he was almost kind like he uh he took his penis out uh and literally the first thing i said was it's so big <laughs> he was like wow you are you're already good at this don't don't change a thing <laughs> Uh, and then he uh, took my hand. And he was like, well, "You can touch it." And so I t- and I touched it, and I said, uh, "It's so soft. It's like a baby bird." <laughs> Why did I say that? Uh, and then he uh, took my hand and he showed me uh, like how to give a hand job. Well, which basically was he gave himself a hand job with my hand. Uh, so he was moving my hand up and down. And it was at this point that I leaned in and we kissed for the first time. And I pulled back and I looked in his eyes and I said, do you ever get over the guilt? Um, and his penis went like, it was like a balloon, like <laughs> But I didn't know that that happened. So I literally was like, what's happening? Oh my God, what's happening? Are you okay? Did I hurt you? What's happening? Uh, and he took my hand off his penis, and he was like, I th- actually think this is a bad idea. Uh, and he left. And I, yeah, you can owe it that. Or what was the noises? Sigh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so I went to sleep, and the next morning, it was like the full Mormon girl woke up with like a, <gasps> like everything I was, ra- like I was like, oh. And I, I heard like a voice. Literally, it was like, you're a whore. Like everything, you, your purity was the only thing valuable about you as a woman, and you don't even have that. You should die. <laughs> and I woke up, and I was like, oh, welcome. Hi, that new voice. And I started to really, like, really get upset, and I tried to ignore it. And I remember I crawled, I climbed down the steps of my loft bed, and when my feet touched the floor, I fell to the ground sobbing. Uh, and in this moment, I had this thought which is, uh, when I was a kid, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus bled and died for your sins. <laughs> Clap for that. <laughs> um, and uh, I had collected a jar of dirt that I still had. And so in this moment of, of such anxiety, I went to the closet, and I opened this jar of dirt. And in my mind, I was like, well, Jesus' blood is actually in this dirt. And I poured a clump of dirt on my hands, and I said... Dear Heavenly Father, I'll never touch a penis again. Uh, through the blood of Christ, forgive me. And I threw the dirt in the garbage. And weirdly, this like invented ritual, like I felt better. Uh, but then, like the problem with sexual curiosity is that, like you know, once you start, so like not a week later, where once there was dirt, there was like yet another dick in my hand. <laughs> And this went on for basically a year. I was like, and, and it was always just so surprising. I was like, God, where did this dick come from? <laughs> and then, oh, and then someone went down on me. And I was like, what is, this is, who, what, yes. <laughs> and I, I literally, like, I feel like th- there was a time period where I couldn't go outside without being like, oh, someone went down on me again. Uh, and I, <laughs> I, I was Mormon, so I, like, I didn't understand social cues. So a guy would like encourage, you know, push for that to happen, and it would happen, and then I would be like, "You're welcome," and leave. <laughs> I wish I still did that. Um, and uh, and then I would go home, and I would feel all the guilt, and I would open the Jesus dirt, and I would be like, "Never, never again." 
And then one day I opened the jar and I was like basically out of dirt. And I was like, what? Where did it all go? Oh, my dirt. No, not my dirt. Oh. And uh, I called my, my friend and she said this thing that I'll never forget, which was, um, you know, for a year you've been doing this. And every time it's like you've tripped and fallen into a hole and you don't know how you got there. And, and then you do it again. And what if you were to try on the idea that this is something you want to do and then you choose to do it? Like how much more enjoyable would sex be if it was a choice you were making because you wanted it? Uh, and I thought it would take me years to get over this stuff. But weirdly, there are those moments where you can literally just close your eyes and open them again. And I tried the idea on, and I was like, she's right. And after that, I gave <laughs> conscience-free hand jobs <laughs> for years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Elna Baker. Oh my gosh. All right, well, okay, so we've got a little bit left of our scientific part, then we've got one more comedian for you, and then we're gonna be talking to Helen Fisher. So, after all of the facts we've told you about how people meet, how people meet online, blah, 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 what should you do with all this? I Good think cue. that Data Sucks and Nate Silver ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I personally think that, uh, I think that money balling your love life takes all the fun out of it. Not that I'm having a super fun time dating in New York, but I feel like I would be having less fun if I made 10 profiles on OkCupid. Uh, yeah, so also, uh, if I found out that a man had reverse uh, engineered to date me, I would be super creeped out, stab him in the heart with a compass. Um, and I just feel like at some point it becomes like the game where you're like trying to like get a woman and not like considering that like she's or you know he is a person that has feelings too I don't know and I think it just it, it all creeps me out a little bit um but that's dating but Madeline has a different take counterpoint <laughs> yeah what fun are you talking about <laughs> um I think that we we categorize finding love as this precious magical thing that just happens and that you fall into it and every moment, <laughs> yes, every moment uh, you may turn a corner and uh, someone will fall into you and that's the only way that it's a good way to happen. Um, and I think actually uh, a lot of the data shows that who you marry is one of the most important decisions that affect the happiness of your entire life and you could go about it a little bit more rationally than just knocking knocking into people at a comedy party at your house. Uh, yeah, Madeline <laughs> knows that my only flirt that I know how to do is literally already have a person at my house. Yeah, yeah, that's the only method. And so I think, like, we do lots of things more rationally. You might do a pro-con list of, you know, what job you want to have, and maybe you could think a little bit more broadly about how you might um, find a man or woman or yourself find yourself <laughs> among, <laughs> among everyone but um i also think that if somebody made 10 profiles to find me i don't know i think it'd be kind of <laughs> nice <laughs> money All ball right. me into your heart well with that 
oh yeah, yeah blah 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 but also like a person's not a house you know what i mean you but hate nerds, I hate nerds. <laughs> why, why do you host this show <laughs> you hate nerds this is true i hate myself uh okay so you can come argue with us after the show but uh we want to bring up our last comedian she's so funny she's so beautiful you've seen her on seriously tv she hosts with uh Catherine. it's a guy thing at union hall please give it up for patty harrison Woo! Wow, keep it going. Um, you know, you never expect to just walk on stage and see a picture of your ex's genitals. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to go. <laughs> um, <coughs> how, how's everybody doing? You good? Wow, this is, I love, um, you know, listening to kind of like, an academic breakdown of attraction and stuff. Because a lot of these studies are, uh, you know, the subjects are like cisgender and um, binary hetero people. And a lot of people ask me, like, as a trans woman, like, what do you think? Like, how have things changed for you, you know, dating-wise? Or like, all, all of these weird statistics about like flirtation and what works and what doesn't. And there have been things that have changed, which is very like, it's expected, but not in the way that I thought. Like, whereas now, if I'm flirting, I'll like, like it said, you give a gaze or you do an arm touch. But before I transition, I would get a football and I would just throw it at the person <laughs> that I liked. And that's, uh, that's clerical data, that's data that we, you know, we haven't tapped into yet and we're entering this really amazing and exciting space right now, socially, where we can talk about like love beyond the binary. It's really cool. Um, you know, if you see like a cute barista or something, before I might just like flex, but now I do a full cartwheel into the splits. <laughs> so it is different and uh, all trans people experience this. Um, yeah, but um, I guess what I what I wanted to talk about is that, you know, dating is crazy, but dating in New York City, it's crazy. And <laughs> I just think like it's, I haven't been in New York very long. I've, I've been here two years, but um, a lot of my time I was working at a job where I wasn't getting paid a lot, so I didn't really get to um, go out to eat a lot. I didn't really like find a spot. Uh, a lot of people like have their spots, uh, which I think is so cool to have a place that you like. And um, so what I, I love if I can is just like kind of like talk to people about what's like a, a spot that they like, especially here, that's like very romantic where you would like take a date. Like um, what what is your name? Valerie, how are you doing? That's great. I'm good. I actually, I got kind of tired in the cab ride over, and it was weird. Yeah, well, I had cereal before I came. I had Wheaties, and I thought that was good, and it wasn't, because I got tired in the cab. Um, huh? Yeah, some people have to sit in the front of the car, which is like, I get it. Um, or they get motion sickness. Um, do, you, do you have a place in New York, or are you from... Do you live here? Oh, wow, cool. Is, is there any place that you're like, wow, this is like very beautiful. This is, 
Yeah. Well, is, is there any place that's like cozy particularly where you're like, this is like a very, a place that I, I can really like center myself in? Your room. That does not work for me. <laughs> How are you? Good. What is your name? Ben. It's nice to meet you. Do you ha have you been in New York long? Do you have a Do you have a spot? Oh, like restaurant. It doesn't have to be a restaurant. Some people like like bookstores or something. Wait, I think I may have been there. Wait, what it What is it called? I'm I'm not sure. Super. Yeah, the coconut drink. Oh, I, I was actually bit by a dog at that bar. Um, <laughs> it's not an interesting story. I won't get into it. <sighs> Just like at a bar. <laughs> Do you let your dog? Um, I, I know you. You're Woody. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. You like, uh, like outdoor like ranger stuff, right? Do you like to like go out like camping or do you have like a spot? You're in Brooklyn. You live in Brooklyn. Do you have any any cool spots? Any like romantic spots? The park. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That is that's very nice. That's I mean, you hope the weather is going to be nice for that, right? Because you can't take to someone you can't take someone on a date in the rain. No, <laughs> that would be so bad. <laughs> Love is hard in that way. <laughs> um, well, what is your name? Zach, it's nice to meet you. You having a good time? That's good to hear. Um, what, what's, like, what's like a cool, uh, maybe not s specifically a place, but what's like romantic to you, like ambiance wise? Or what's something, some people would say like candlelight or something. I don't know. Not candlelight? Yeah. Candlelight's actually not a thing for me either because um, I was actually on this date one time and uh, this guy, I was sitting across from him and he, I'm like, oh, he's reaching across the table. I must have something on my shirt. And I looked down and that's when I realized he had a paw. And I was like, what is going on here? And then he barked in my face. <laughs> so loud and I was like oh this date is bad and then he bit me on my face and pulled me out of the restaurant by my face later I found out it was a uh, 200 pound Rottweiler they says that heaviest Rottweiler uh, to you know go on a date that and that is data <laughs> that's data um, wait was that eight minutes or was that ten <laughs> Okay, I got you for two minutes. Um, I guess, I, I don't know. I think, you know, I like, uh, ambiance is really important, but maybe like comfy seating. Do people like comfy seating? Is that romantic? Okay, thank gosh. I, I, like sometimes that gets such a politically just like uh, polarizing response. I've had people throw, just throw full drinks at me when I ask if you like to sit in a, a soft space. Uh, so I'm glad we're in a safe, progressively-minded space where people like to sit on soft cushions. Um, what, uh, what, about, what about you? What's your name? Mary? How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I uh, got sleepy in the cab. <laughs> I got a cereal, and I thought the cereal would do, and it just it didn't work. Um, what's, wha uh, where are you from? Long Island? 
oh, cool, we're in Brooklyn. Oh, wow, I think I, then I've been to your apartment. Oh, your apartment's so beautiful. There are actually some really cool restaurants in that area. I think I went to like a tapas place. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, where is it? Mes Mesas? I don't know. I think, I don't think that's it because the tapas restaurant I went to, I just remember it was it. It started with a T and I was dra uh, dragged out of it by 30 stray dogs. <laughs> Uh, which uh, was really painful. The EMT said it was the uh, most anybody, most times anybody's ever been resuscitated. They brought me back to life seven times at that tapas restaurant. And you know, it's like, the, because they'd bring me back to life and then the dog would get at my neck again and pull my brainstem out. And it was like, if you're gonna resuscitate me, get me off the floor. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Patty Harrison, I'm gonna go. <laughs> Thank you, Patty. Um, keep it going survivor. for Patty. Hell yeah. She is a survivor. Okay, now it's a moment you've all been waiting for. Someone who has actual knowledge on the topic is going to come speak. Uh, so our scientist is a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. She's the chief scientific advisor to Match.com, as I've said 100 million times. Uh, she's done a bunch of TED Talks that have been viewed like a thousand million times, I want to say, and she has written a bunch of books, uh, one of which is Anatomy of Love. Uh, please give it up for Dr. Helen Fisher. We have an odd um, guest arrangement. <laughs> All right, so we read your book. We loved it, obviously. Thank you, thank you. Um, I was. Is that working? Yes, that's yeah. working. Perfect. Um, so, I guess the first thing that we wanted to ask you, since you are the advisor to Match.com, is: Do you think that now a lot of this is about like how humans evolved to mate, how we evolved to have uh, monogamy with adultery? Do you think that now that we're uh, <laughs> Which, which is true. Uh, do you think now that we're like in meeting each other online, has that changed fundamentally how humans decide to mate and date one another? Uh, I want to answer that question. Could I? But I could I first start with a story? Yes. Yes. Um, this is a story that I think is very meaningful about you know where we're all at. I happen to be in the highlands of New Guinea, and I was traveling around in the back of a, um, a really beat up pickup truck uh, with about five men all locals, and uh, uh, one guy had three wives. A lot of them had more than one wife, but this guy had three wives. And so I said to him, uh, he spoke English, so I said, how many wives would you like to have? And there was this long pause, and I thought about it, and I said, is he gonna say five? Is he gonna say 10? Is he gonna say 25? And he leaned up to me and he said, none. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of wives is a, is a toothache. <laughs> a lot of men is a toothache. We're an animal that is built to fall in love, form a pair bond with one, and as you said, probably be adulterous on the side. Some people are. Certainly uh, a huge number of people around the world divorce and remarry. So we've got this basic human reproductive strategy of a tremendous drive to fall in love, uh, restlessness in long relationships, uh, a tendency to divorce and remarry. 
and we are at a time right now in human evolution which I think is extremely exciting. I'm extremely optimistic about the future for, the, for reasons we're going to get into. But uh, the bottom line is we are built to love. And so all of these people who got up here, even the girl who was a virgin until she, I hope you're not a virgin still, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, 51, uh, 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 most men will not date a virgin. Uh, 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 yeah, and that's a big point, man, Found too, that to be true. What? I found that to be true, yeah. yes. Um, and 51% of women will not uh, uh, date a man who's a virgin either. And that's so interesting because 100 years ago or even 50 years ago, if you weren't a virgin, then you were really screwed. You know, and these days, if you are a virgin, you're screwed. So, you know, it's a major change in, in, uh, in things. But anyway, is technology changing love? That's what you asked, right? <laughs> The answer is no. Um, you know, I put people in brain scanners. Uh, we've put over 100 people in. We're the first in the world, and who are madly in love, rejected in love, and in love long term. And basically, romantic love is a drive. It's a basic mating drive that evolved millions of years ago, way below the cortex where you do your thinking, way below the limbic system with all the emotions, in brain regions linked with wanting, with craving, with obsession, with focus, and with motivation. And they're not going to change whether you sweep left or right on <laughs> Tinder. It is not going to happen. And as a matter of fact, you know, we're always thinking now that technology is changing love. What about in the early 1950s when the automobile came into general use? You know, they suddenly had a rolling bedroom, for Christ's sakes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and how about in 1972 when the... Uh, uh, birth control pill came in, you know, I mean, unchained from millions of years of, of, um, of the fear of pregnancy, et cetera, uh, was now gone. And so, you know, sweeping left and right on Tinder, going on Match, going on OkCupid. These, as you said before, they're not dating sites. They are introducing sites. The only real algorithm is your own brain. And sure, we can introduce you to all kinds of people uh, from all kinds of walks of life who live next door or right in your apartment. Um, but the bottom line is you've got to get out there and meet them. Then the ancient brain clicks into action, and you court the way we always have. You smile the way we always have. You flirt the way we always have. You, you parade the way we always have. Uh, you listen the way we always have. So the dating sites are doing nothing except giving us more opportunities uh, to find somebody. That's all they're doing. What about my weird theory? Well... <laughs> 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 Where did I get that? Which one? <laughs> the one <laughs> where it's shared taste. That shared taste has some sort oh of importance. Oh, yeah. Did I get that? Yeah. Uh, I never heard that. it. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Coming from the no woman. No yes. Okay. <laughs> great, great, great. Well, we but can I, move but on. But it should work. <laughs> I mean, it's nice. That in fact, I just, you know, I do a lot of studies with Match. And um, one of the things that people do want is somebody who's going to be willing to binge watch um, their particular TV show with them. Oh. So that's something... But the basic things these people want today is somebody who gives you enough time, who's funny. We want funny. Funny solves a whole lot of things. <laughs> uh, you know, gets over the bad spots. Uh, somebody who's good in bed, no question about that. Uh, and, but also somebody who respects you and, and gives enough time to you and, and you know, who you safe feel safe around. So you said that you are optimistic about love and, like, how it's, uh, developing in today's world? Does it have to do with uh, your what you write about slow love? Yes. 
Yeah. Do you, can you explain that more? Absolutely. It's a new idea of mine. I do an annual study with Match called Singles in America. And we don't poll the Match population, we poll the American population. So it's a representative sample of Americans based on the U.S. Census. We've got the right number of blacks, whites, Asian, Latino, gay, straight, rural, suburban, urban, every part of the country. And I do want to talk about gays because they're just like straights. All of the data is just like who you fall in love is one issue, but how you feel when you love is that we're all alike. It's like the fear system, the love system. Um, but anyway, slow love. I would even amend that now to say fast sex, slow love. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I just did a study of millennials. I love millennials. You guys are really, you're out of the box. And, it's, uh <laughs> and you're naming everything too, which is very cool. Um, but anyway, 34% of singles today have had sex with somebody before the first date. So, um, as someone who's uh, never uh, yeah. been on a date, maybe <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a sex interview, you know, you're trying to see, yeah, do I, I want to spend the time with this guy you know, or a girl or whatever? Um, and also, it's a possibility of trying to trigger this brain circuitry, you know. I mean, you can either talk to somebody for three years about their college plans or their career, or you can try and get them into bed tonight and trigger the brain circuitry for romantic love and attachment. So all these people who are having sex before the first date, they're not crazy. They're trying to trigger brain circuitry or figure out, ah, do I even want to, you know, be with this person. Anyway, slow love and why I'm so optimistic. Every single year, I, I, we've got data on over 35,000 people. And uh, every single year I ask some of uh, the same questions. And among them are, you know, have you ever had a one night stand? Have you ever had a friends with benefits? Have you ever lived with somebody long term before marriage? And every single year over 50% of people say yes to all of them. Um, now, they didn't necessarily have their one night stand this past year, but during the course of their lives, over 50% have had the one night stand, the friends with benefits and the, uh, and the living together. And Americans think that this is reckless. But you know, I'm an anthropologist, and I, you're not all crazy. Not everybody's <laughs> crazy. There's got to be some Darwinian explanation here. Um, and so then I found a data point that 67% of people who are in a long-term living before they marry um, are terrified of divorce, terrified of it. And it began to occur to me that this is not recklessness, it's caution. These days, we want to get into bed right away. You learn a lot between the sheets. Uh, and then try and, and then slowly get into the friends with benefits and slowly build, tell other people about it, then slowly move in together so that you can really find out whether you want somebody before you tie the knot. And then I began to think of myself, well, I call that slow love. And if, in fact, we have this long period, I call it the pre-commitment uh, pre stage, or commitment light, L-I-T-E, commitment light, with this very long pre-commitment stage of the relationship. Maybe you can get rid of the ones that are no good, uh, and so by the time you actually walk down the aisle, you got somebody who you know who you want, you, you know you got who you want, you know you think you can keep who you want, and maybe we're gonna have happier marriages. And so I did a study of 1,100 married people, and I asked a lot of questions. But one of the questions was, would you remarry the person that you're currently married to? And 81% said yes. So I think the millennials are, I mean, it used to be, you know, basically marriage used to be the beginning of a relationship, now it's the finale. And what so many of you people are doing, A, you're being transparent. We didn't, we weren't transparent in my day, oh no, no way. 
Uh, um, but uh, you're being more transparent about it. You're trying a whole lot of different things. You're trying a lot of relationships. You're not in a rush. You, you know, you're not scared of pregnancy. You're not scared of disease. Uh, y you're not going to walk the walk of shame if you have a one-night stand and it doesn't work out. So the lid is off the pot. And you can use sexuality and use romance um, sort of in a long, uh, you know, more drawn-out way before you, before you, you know, tie the knot. I think that's a great step forward. I love that. That's so Also, Slow love. I love to tell the story about how my parents met and... Uh, went on a date and five weeks later they were engaged and then they got divorced like immediately. So there you go. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, but they had me. Uh, really? In that amount of time? That's good. Yeah, well, it was like five years. So I texted my mom reading her book and uh, divorces peak around like three to four years, yeah. which is four years. Four year rich. Yeah, and my mom was like, yeah, there yeah. you go. <laughs> um, uh, so before they kick us out of the venue, I just wanted to know, in your research, uh, have you noticed any dating uh, peculiarities uh, that Americans have or specifically New Yorkers? Because I know that, you know, we're in a city where there are so many more women than men and it just seems like really hard and I want to like die all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, New Yorkers will not date somebody from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you won't do it. <laughs> I, d I did a whole big thing with uh, the t uh, 2020, and we, we tried to match people from New York and New Jersey. I wouldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> but I actually think it's a very different mindset. Uh, I think the new, j yeah, well, I won't go into that. Anyway, but bottom line is, uh, what did I notice about New York? Oh, you're very high dopamine. Uh, you're novelty seeking, risk taking, curious, creative, spontaneous, energetic people. And you want somebody like yourself. You can't do New Jersey. They're traditional, <laughs> conventional, follow the rules, respect authority. Um, I don't think dating in New York is that hard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that it's so easy for you. Uh, well, have you tried it? <laughs> I mean, I, I've been around. So it's interesting. I was on the radio this morning, actually. We were talking about lying. I, I've been studying lying with Match and who lies. And... And one of the biggest things that singles lie about today is how many sex partners they've had. Mm. And um, Do they say more or less? Uh, women always say less. Mm. And men do one of two things. They'll either decrease it dramatically or increase it dramatically. And I think that's two different reproductive strategies. Yeah. I think when they're increasing it, they're kind of say, hey, look at me, you know, try me out kind of thing. And when they're decreasing it, I think they're more interested in love. They're saying, look, you know, I'm not going to run around on you. But anyway, I was talking to this guy who was from the Midwest. And I don't know about this room, but, you know, at, at, I, I, I said, you know, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, you know, no, I've never asked any man how many partners he's had. I don't want to know. And um, he said, uh, uh, well, he, I don't know, he said, but I said, I said, how many partners do you think uh, a person should say? And he said, well, I said, he said, well, um, 10 or less. And I thought to myself, where's he been, under a rock? <laughs> 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 I don't know. I mean, you know, my generation as a baby boomer, baby boomer had more uh, sex than your generation. You're much squarer than we were. <laughs> uh, you're much more transparent. You're trying to work all this out. Um, that's true. Baby boomers have had, uh, had, had more sex than... Than than the other. You're ambitious people. Uh, you're you're dedicated to your work, and um, you don't want to go down that road of uh, really bad relationships. You're trying an awful lot of things out. 
And I admire, I admire the uh, millennials. So optimistic and complimentary. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're losers who aren't having sex. You'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Romantic True. love is like a sleeping cat. It'll wake up any moment. It'll all happen to everybody in the room more than once. You know, we were built to love, but nobody gets out of love alive. You know, we all have troubles. Yeah, <laughs> well, oh recently yeah. a guy I went on a date with texted me, what are some good One Direction songs? And I was like, I'm going to sleep with him. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so unfortunately, we are going to totally get killed by the tech guys. So <laughs> we're so sorry. But this has been so great. Uh, everyone, you can buy Anatomy of Love where books are sold, Amazon, et cetera. Uh, Brooklyn Public Library. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for speaking with us, Dr. Fisher. Thanks. Thank you. And thanks, thanks everybody. <laughs> and thanks, everyone. Have a good night. The Scientists was recorded live at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by Andrew Lulling and Evan Zirk for Good Orbit. Project, nice to be in orbit. <laughs>